Hello, you're listening to the Urban Uncovered podcast show. My name is Ayat Arabin, a cognitive and clinical neuroscience student and the host of the show. Today, I'm going to be taking you on a little stroll down the history lane of autism. We're going to be looking at its effect on the brain, and hopefully by the end of this episode, you're going to be, you know, appreciating neurodiversity more. So if we were to, you know, look back for the most of the 20th century, autism was considered an incredibly rare condition. You know, a few psychologists and pediatricians would even have, wouldn't have even figured to hear of it at least once during their career. You know, for decades, the prevalence estimates kind of remained stable. Um, just three or four children in 10,000. But then, in the 1980s, the numbers started to skyrocket. And um, yeah, and some actually referred to autism as an epidemic. And uh, yeah, um, so what's really going on? If it, if you, I, I don't know if you've heard of this, but there was a trend back then where it was like autism is caused by vaccines. Hmm. Do you think? I don't know. Well, okay. Let's go back to the roots, all right? In the 1930s, there was a very interesting man uh, by the name of Hans Asperger's. You most probably have heard of him. So um, the reason I like to go back there is because the way he viewed autism was uh, quite unique, you know? Um, He kind of did not treat it as a disability. Um, In fact, he had his own little school where he would get children in and um, he would just let them play music all day. And um, he would treat them in a way where it was like, um, how do I say it? Indifferent. You know, mornings at his clinic began with exercise classes set to music. And the children would be allowed to play also in the afternoon. So instead of blaming parents for causing autism, Asperger's framed it as a lifelong polygenetic disability that requires compassionate forms of support and communication. So he did not really um, frame the problem as in rooting and coming from the person themselves, but he believed that, you know, autism and autistic traits are quite common. And it's just different people are set on the the spectrum, you know, on different levels. So, yeah. Nowadays, you kind of see it a lot. I mean, speaking of the spectrum, um, have you ever noticed Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory? Yeah, he goes all the way up on that spectrum. It's quite funny. <laughs> um, so you can tell that, you know, for success in science and art, um, a dash of autism is essential. So yeah, give that a little thought. Um, so yeah, now um, moving on from Hans Asperger's and his tremendous work, um, two scientists by the name of Lorna and Judas kind of... Um, built upon his work and they quietly worked with the APA which is American Psychiatric Association to broaden the criteria for diagnoses to reflect the diversity of what they call the autism spectrum. So in the late 80s and early 1990s their changes went into an effect you know swapping out old models um, even including Asperger's brought an inclusive one so yeah these changes obviously weren't happening in a a vacuum but by coincidence as these two interesting scientists were working behind the scenes to reform the criteria people all over the world were seeing an autistic you know adult for the first time so if i was to go back to the 1980s i think rain man would ring a bell wouldn't it it's one of the classics only you know um, only really a tiny ingrown circle of experts looked at autism um, the way, um, you know, the way to d- d- like kind of performed by the actor himself. And um, yeah, 
um, and it's kind of why he earned, earned kind of a lot of awards and um, respect all over the world. So yeah, uh, and so by the rise of the Rain Man movie, coincidentally at the same time, there was uh, the first easy to use clinical tests uh, for diagnosing autism. Uh, these were introduced at the same time. So people no longer had to you know, find connections in the tiny circle of experts to get their child evaluated. It was uh, right there for, for the reach. So yeah, the combination of Raidman, the changes to the criteria with APA, and the introduction of these tests kind of created a network effect, a perfect storm of uh, what you can call an autism, uh, of autism awareness really. So now, although the number of diagnoses really started to soar, um, just as those two researchers, Lorna and Judith, predicted, indeed, hope that it would, you know, enable autistic people and their families to finally get the support and services they deserve. But there's a little question that edges in the back of your head, quite sure, um, and I'll be answering it at the end. So, um, yeah, um, with a soaring number of autism spectrum disorder cases rising, um, people started to coin, uh, use the coin neurodiversity to celebrate the varieties of human cognition. Um, and yeah, as autistics became one of the largest minority groups in the world, um, autistic people have come together on the internet to reject the notion that they are just puzzles to be solved, you know, uh, by the next medical breakthrough. And yeah, uh, that's, you know, one way to understand neurodiversity is kind of to think of, um, in terms of human operating systems. So think of a computer, okay? Just because a PC is not running Windows does not mean that it's broken. Just because the screen is off does not mean your laptop has crashed if you have a MacBook. But yeah, so by autistic standards, the normal human brain is just easily distractible, um, obsessively social, and suffers from a deficit um, of attention to detail. So yeah, it's all about perspective here, can you tell? To be sure, autistic people have a hard, hard time living in a world not built for them. Um, so, yeah, and we're still really catching up to Asperger's. Um, but, but, yeah, there's there's a lot of work to be done. And I feel like there's a lot of understanding to, um, to come from, you know, um, teachers, parents, and the community um, who has faith in the child's potential. Uh, so, yeah. You know, um, I, I read a quote uh, while researching this, and it said that we know we need all hands on deck to the, you know, to right the ship of humanity. And um, you know, as we sail into a very, very uncertain future, um, nothing more uncertain in the future nowadays. And we kind of need every form of human intelligence on the planet um, working together to tackle whether it's climate change or the rise of AI, whatever your belief is and wherever you stand with that. <laughs> um, yeah, we can't afford to waste another brain, especially not an autistic one. Um, so yeah, speaking of the brain, you know, I kind of touched on um, uh, computers like, uh, right? So much like a computer, uh, the brain kind of relies on intricate wiring to process and transit. Uh, info. So um, scientists kind of discovered that in people with autism, there's a misfiring in communication between brain cells. Um, so yeah, here we're diving a little into the neural underpinnings of autism. Um, so yeah, now what is it that really um, autism does to the brain exactly? You know, in the brain, um, nerve cells transmit 
important messages that regulate body functions, right? Everything from social behavior to movement. Now, imaging studies have revealed that autistic children have way too many fibers, um, nerve fibers, um, uh, but they're not really working well enough to facilitate communication between the various parts of the brain. So scientists think that all of this um, extra circuitry may kind of affect the brain size. Now, although autistic children are born with normal or smaller than normal brains, they kind of undergo a period of rapid growth between ages of 6 and 14 months. So yeah, um, that by kind of the age of 4, their brains tend to be usually um, um, larger uh, than the norm. And uh, genetic deficits in brain growth factors, uh, which is also known as, by the way, BTNF, may lead to this abnormal brain development. So yeah, scientists also have discovered irregularities in the brain structures to themselves. So uh, the neurostructure of the corpus callosum, um, the amygdala, and the cerebellum. So the corpus callosum facilitates communication, if you're wondering. Amygdala affects emotion and social behavior. And the cerebellum is involved with motor activity, uh, balance, and coordination. So yeah, the scientists believe that these abnormalities kind of occur during the prenatal development. Um, yeah, interesting enough, a brain tissue study also suggested that children affected by autism have a surplus of synapses or connections, aka between brain cells. So the excess is due to a slowdown in the normal pursuing uh, of, you know, um, connections in the pruning process that occurs during brain development as researchers say. So autistic children and adults it's, because of all these brain abnormalities, suffer from so problems with social interactions, verbal and nonverbal communications. They tend to exhibit repetitive behaviors or narrow obsessive interests as well. Um, so yeah, going back to Sheldon <laughs> from the Big Bang Theory, uh, that's one prominent example, or Rain Man. So yeah, um, these three behaviors are the basis of diagnoses of autism. And, um, and you know, there's a lot of research coming out nowadays uh, that has the ability to rewire the brain through a complex, you know, step-by-step -step process that yields steady progress. Um, yeah, using neuro different types of neurofeedback to reduce symptoms associated with autism. So yeah, it looks like a quite the bright future here. Um, anyways, I hope this gave you a little jolt of insight into uh, the autistic brain. And um, uh, if you if you you know have any recommendations for topics you'd like to hear of, feel free to reach out to me. And um, wherever you listen to this podcast show, feel free to re leave a review, please. Um, anyways, finally, thank you so much for your interest in science. I'll be talking to you very soon. Bye.